The sermon this morning is entitled, The Just Shall Live by Faith. So I'm going to start out with science. Uh, the science. The word science is defined as the observation, identification, description, experimentally investigation, and theoretical explanation of natural phenomenon. It's also defined as an organized body of fact, such as the science of mathematics, psychology, chemistry, astronomy, or biology. A scientist is one who has expert knowledge in one or more of these sciences. They are credited with having objective, analytical, and logical minds, and they're curious. What's that got to do with Christmas morning? A lot, let me share. The Bible records this for all of us to remember. Romans 1.17, the just, that's those who believe in Jesus Christ, shall live by faith. But the reality is, whether we realize it or not, whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, you're living by faith. So many things that come into your life are a matter of faith. The Bible also rec records that faith is neither blind nor is it anti-intellectually. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Christian's faith is trust in the unseen, not in the unknown. There are so many things that we put our faith in that we just can't see. But we know that God's there. We know that God's word is true. We know that Jesus is alive and living in us through the Holy Spirit. We know those things. We may not be able to see them, but we have the faith to believe and live like that. Men of science can find themselves at that juncture between faith and reason as they follow the sometimes elusive trail of their experiments, observation to present a new theory, discover a new drug or a compound, or invent the electric light bulb, or dabble in, in, uh, in fusion and fission. We're talking about putting the, the atom together rather than pulling it apart. And that's going to take place over the next 30 years, should the Lord tarry. So it was 2,000 years ago when some Syrian scientists were making a few startling observations of their own. Yes, there were scientists back in those days. Yes, there were people who were curious, studying things. Their observation, the apparent alignment of two of three or three planets, creating what to be a single star of great intensity on the border of Israel. This astronomical phenomenon alone was enough to, pray, to pique their further inquiry, but they wanted something more than that. They were not only reaching to the stars, but they were reaching to the writings of ancient Hebrews. And it was in those writings that they stumbled upon other prophecies regarding the promised Jewish Messiah. Now, God had always promised the Jewish people that a day would come when he would give them a king, that he would give them a spiritual kingdom, that he would deliver peace to the earth. That was his promise. And God wanted to keep it, and he was about to do so. Text one for them was found in the writings of Moses, Writings 1,400 years before Jesus was born. And this is the verse that drew, that drew their attention. Numbers 24, 17. Listen and watch. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh, which means not near. 
There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Seth. Historical records enable the scholars to conclude that these words contained two predictions. Two prophecies, number one, had already been fulfilled in the year 600 BC when Israel defeated the Moabite nation and made them slaves. That happened. But the other prophecy was aimed further down the timeline. They theorized that the star mentioned by Moses was the very star they were observing. We call it the Christmas star. They were seeing that. They were comparing it to the scripture that they had just read. And they said, that's the star. This theory was interwoven with another verse, Micah 5.2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Somebody's coming who wasn't just born a day ago. Somebody is coming who is eternal. There's only one eternal in the entire universe, and that eternal one is God himself. And the prophecies are saying something extraordinary and amazing. They say, you hang on. God himself is coming in the form of flesh. He's going to do something miraculous. I don't know anything more miraculous than that. That the creator of the universe, the God of all mathematics, the God of order, the God of details, the God of life is going to come down and he's going to be in human form. Then these objective researchers found a startling piece of data and it was hidden in the prophetic writings of Isaiah. Isaiah wrote these things 750 years before Jesus was born. And Isaiah 7.14 reads, And the Lord shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Wow. He's going to be a son. He's going to be born. He's going to have a name. The Messiah would not come to earth as a fully grown man. Rather, he would come the way you came and I came. He came in a natural way, in a phenomenally unnatural way, in a miraculous way. He would be born of a virgin, but he would be born a baby. Three facts were now converging to one inescapable conclusion, and that was, according to these scholars, these scientists whom we call kings from time to time, according to those men, the imminent Messiah it was imminent that the Messiah would be here because they had these three things, the star, the town, and the method. They had all they needed to conclude that, that uh, Jesus was coming. Like any good scientist, they now prepared to investigate their findings to determine if their observation and their theory was correct. And this brings us to our text for the morning. In your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let's stand. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. 
And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, the people together, he demanded of them, where's Christ going to be born? And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, even the unbelievers believed it. Verse 6, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah, art thou not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor, and that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found it, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. He's lying. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they had saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come unto the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when he had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed unto their own country another way. Thanks. You may be seated. So verses 1 and 2, the really, by the way, the number of wise men is not numbered in the Bible nor is they're named. They're not named in the Bible. That's tradition. So you need to keep that in the back burners of your mind. They acted on what they believed to be true. Also in Isaiah chapter 7, uh, chapter 7 and verse 9, at the end of the verse it says, if you will not believe, you shall not be established. If you, not just these wise people, they believed what they were seeing and they moved forward. That word established means to be secure in your understanding. So if you're not believing, you won't understand God's word. If you don't go into it, the, the attitude that God's going to teach it to you, if you don't get into it with the attitude that it can be understood, you won't get it. And they got it. The wise men believed the scriptures and then did something else. They acted on their belief. Verse 2 says, and we are come to worship him. Our motivation is nothing more than that. Forget the science, forget the gifts. I, I just want to see this Messiah, and I want to worship him. Belief and faith cannot be forced on a person. You can't be coerced, threatened, or intimidated into faith in Jesus Christ. That attempt was already tried in history. In the Middle Ages, they did everything they could to convert non-believers. How? By the sword and by torture. And there is no New Testament authority for that approach to seeing people come to Jesus Christ. Jesus said to his disciples and others, put down your swords. But religious leaders at that time said, believe or die by the sword. So when somebody tells you, tells you that it's okay to do violence in the name of Jesus, you tell them that Jesus doesn't okay it. He does not approve of it. He does not want you to do it. He doesn't authorize it. He doesn't certify it. And he'll never go for it. Our responsibilities as Christians is to share the good news of Jesus Christ by our life and then by our words. We don't, the, Jesus does not have secret agents. There are not people who are working covertly to share the gospel. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord, what? Say so. So you have a wonderful opportunity to do that at this Christmas season. Jesus made it clear in John 16, verses 7 to 11. 
It's the Holy Spirit that convicts the unbeliever of their sin. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals the existence of God. And it's the Holy Spirit that will illuminate God's Bible for you. What the wise men of our text discovered was both a matter of faith and a reason. And those two things are not mutually exclusive. You can be a person of faith and intellect and reason. What the Holy Spirit revealed to them in the stars and in the scriptures, they believed. And what was the reaction to their testimony? Well, the Bible tells us in the text that we just read that the king was troubled. And so was the rest of the city. When the king got troubled, everybody else got troubled because they knew when the king got troubled, it wouldn't be long before they would be in trouble. Why? When Christ comes into the heart and life of a person, the status quo changes. Things are no longer what they used to be. The Bible says all things are changed. The Bible says all things are made new. You're living with the guilt of the past. The Bible says that when you confess your sin, that God will take the guilt of the past and wash it away, never to remember it again. It's new. You can get, begin each and every day with a fresh slate. What would you pay to be able to go to sleep at night with a clear conscience and not think about the things that you had done that were terrible and so forth. The Bible says that if we repent and we do the best we can to make our, 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 our hurts uh, to the other people better, things are no longer what they used to, uh, to be. King Herod was threatened by a possible new king in Jerusalem. The thought of a good king, okay, listen, Washington, the thought of a good king, an honest king, a godly king, that would be a threat to power because most kings and most people in power aren't operating under that thesis. Herod was known as a cruel man who even put members of his own family to death if he believed they wanted to take over his throne. Jesus Christ is a threat to Satan and his rule over evil empires. Jesus Christ is a threat to the grip of sin that has long strangled those whom it possesses. Jesus Christ is a threat to the power of fear. He's a threat to your loneliness. He's a threat to your feelings of anger and despair and hopelessness and all of these things that you will experience at some point in your life. Jesus, it said, is the answer. 